Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I have read to you already from this epistle in opening this service where we read from Ephesians chapter 2 that God had made those Gentiles in the city of Ephesus of Asia Minor, a province of the Roman Empire, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. They had been strangers and foreigners because they were Gentiles. As it tells us in the 12th verse of Ephesians 2, they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers from the covenants of promise. But God, through Jesus Christ and His shed blood, united us all in one new kingdom made up of Jews and Gentiles. And we are together built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of the kingdom of heaven, in whom all the building that is, Jews and Gentiles in heaven and in earth everywhere, are built together a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. We have a relationship to the general assembly, whose names are written in heaven, and we have a relationship to each other in this church, in this local relationship. We want to look at that local relationship in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 16 is where I was wanting to take you. And we're going to get there, but let's take a path there. Verse 16 says in it, which every joint supplieth. We are the chosen temple of the Lord Jesus Christ in this city for us to be stones in For us to be part of it, we're called a body in other places, so that each of you are a member of that body, like an arm or a hand or an eye or an ear. We're a body. We're a temple. We're a house. We're the church. We're a congregation of saints in a local relationship where we have committed ourselves to each other, just like the Ephesian saints had committed themselves to each other. And we want to be the best church that we can be. In these verses, we're going to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church that He calls His body. So He is its head. All the wisdom, all the understanding, the direction is from here. He's the head. We are the body. We fill up the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ as a church. He chose the metaphor. I didn't. He calls us the body and He's the head. And He is going to say that the only way we're a body fit for Him that pleases Him as the head is that that, by that which every joint supplies. Every joint. Joint supplies. This church cannot amount to what it should be without you. Jesus Christ has given a measure of grace to every member. We cannot be the church that we should be 
unless everyone participates. I'm not angry. I'm just repetitive. I've promised you that once a quarter, for as long as I live, I will remind you about the nature of our church and what makes it successful and prosperous or not. I have my role, and you have your role. If we will all do our roles together, we can be a church that pleases Jesus Christ. We don't care if it pleases the community. We don't care if it pleases other churches. We don't care if Rick Warren wants to know about us. We care if Jesus Christ is pleased with us. And chapter 4 tells us how to do that. And the the words I want you to take away, which every joint supplieth. What are you doing to help out the rest of the body? Whom did you speak to today? What did you say? Whom are you going to speak to tomorrow? Who will you serve on Tuesday? Who will you pray for on Wednesday? What will you do on Wednesday to help that assembly? It's by that which every joint supplies. Jesus Christ is our head. By sending His Spirit into us, my body is making... I am making decisions in my head and different parts of my body are moving. Because there is one Spirit animating the whole thing. These are all different joints. This finger, you can cut it off and lay it on that table and it will do nothing. But my mind is telling me what it ought to do and the Spirit that animates my one body moves it all. The body without the Spirit is dead. We do not want the Lord Jesus Christ to withdraw His Spirit. We want Him to continue to bless us with His Spirit. And we want every joint involved so that Jesus Christ as the head can get everything out of us that we are capable of giving to each other so that we all grow up a body fit for the Lord Jesus Christ. Six foot six, muscular, strong, and able to do everything that a great man should be able to do because the Bible actually says in these verses that we would grow up to the fullness of the measure, yes, taller than me, a lot taller, the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. And forget, the body is a metaphor. We want to grow up to be fit, the fittest, the most athletic, perfect body for the Lord Jesus Christ, which means as a church, every member is doing its part by the grace that God measured out to that member, and by that we all grow internally by all of the body working together. And so we have a fit stature for the Lord Jesus Christ who is its head. He makes the choices for us. He's written them down. He will continue to lead us. He animates us with His Spirit. But if my arm says, well, I don't know if I believe that. And this arm wants to fight. But this arm just wants to hang there. I'm a hanger. I come and warm a piece of foam rubber. How good am I going to be in a boxing match with this hanger here? I will amount to nothing except a quick knockout. It takes every joint.
We, do, we hate the attitudes of all athletes in our country. I say all in a general way because it's as true as it is in the Bible, that word. The exceptions are so rare you don't need to deal with them. But I'll tell you something about those athletes. Or you talk about a racehorse. Every joint, is their sinews and ligaments are not like yours. Their muscles and ligaments and tendons are not like yours. They are so compacted together and so tight and so hard and so strong. They have, they have fast twitch muscle fibers. They have slow twitch muscle fibers. And they all combine together to make one incredible machine that can run, sprint, jump, throw, catch, swim, and do all sorts of things. But they are compacted together because every part of their body is working together for one common cause. There are no slackers. None. When they have a weak body part, they train that body part. I was able to watch the decathlon not a few, a few weeks ago from Finland where the world championships were being held. The, de, the decathletes are the greatest athletes in the world. They compete in ten events of throwing, running, jumping. They're the greatest athletes in the world. They're... But I'll tell you, when they have a weak part, they have to go work that part extra to get it up to the rest of the body, or else in the point accumulation of a decathlete, that weak part in that one event where they may not do so well causes them to lose the overall contest. So they train that because every part is needed. Every member of this church has a role to play. See, this church isn't like other churches. The average church, they never ever in any assembly see over 50% of their members. What if you were to sit down in a boxing ring? You know, that's half of your members. Your two strongest parts of your body are, out, are, are taken out of action. The average church, you never see more than 50% in an assembly. So they've lost, they don't even know what this passage is talking about. They don't even know what Hebrews 10.25 about not forsaking the assembly is. We can go way past that. We know those verses. But it's not enough to assemble. There's a reason why we assemble in Hebrews 10.25. So that we can consider one another. That means to stop and think about each other and to provoke each other to love and to good works. Because that's how we grow a body. That is working out. That is all of us coming and helping provoke each other to love and to good works. Because love is the measure of a church and love is how a church grows from the inside. And good works is what Jesus Christ wants. That's what His, the head of our church is telling us. These things command and teach. I want good works out of my church. I express His mind to you. You fulfill it by that which every joint supplies. Are you with me? Right. <laughs> Quickly, verse 1. And this is going to be quick. The first three verses, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness. How much lowliness? All, all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians is like Romans. Look at the last word of chapter 3. What is the last word of Ephesians 3? Amen. You have the doctrinal half, then you have the practical half. 
because of what I've told you in the first three chapters, now I want you to do something with it. He ends chapter 3 by saying amen in a personal letter. Amen. I'm done with what God's done for you. Now what are you going to do for God? And what, he's, what He asks us to do, and this is the mind of the Lord, this is the head of our church, I'm just His ambassador. The head of our church is saying, this is what I want. And Paul says, as a prisoner, I beseech you, therefore, because of what I've said before, in chapters 1 through 3, this is how God wants you to walk. Jesus Christ wants you looking like the children of God. That's your vocation. You are the heirs of eternal life. You're the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the sons of God, and we ought to look like it. That's what he's saying in verse 1. Verse 2 tells us how. We get down. We're lowly. We're meek. We can put up with people hurting us. We don't want the limelight. We want others to have the limelight. We're long-suffering. We can suffer even if someone is hurting us for a long time. Forbearing one another in love. Forbearing means putting up with something that someone does to you that hurts you. Forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring, and here's the whole purpose, here's our goal, here's the target. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring, this is our goal, to keep the unity of the Spirit. Because there is one Spirit that is animating this body. And if the Spirit that animates this body gets confused... I don't know how to illustrate that for you. But if this spirit gets confused, then my body's going to be dysfunctional. You know, some, some people are born that way, where their spirit is confused and their, and their limbs don't do what they ought to do. We don't have such a spirit if we keep it, if we keep it unified. But if a spirit arises in this church that is anything contrary to the spirit of Jesus Christ, it will ruin this body. We will not amount to what we should be, and we all lose. Because of the first three verses, Paul stresses unity because of that one spirit from verse 3. He stresses it in verses 4, 5, and 6. And here's how he does it. There's things that you can pull out of verses 4, 5, and 6, but his main point is there is one. Therefore, there should be no division in a church because there's one of everything. Everything is one. In the church, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. And that one God, that one Father, is through all, over all, and in us all. The emphasis of verse 5 and 6. Now, there are little lessons that could be pulled out, but the main lesson is everything is one, so the church ought to be one. Everything is unified in God. We ought to be unified. There ought not to be weak or falling members. There ought not to be slack members. There ought not to be division or strife or anyone looking for their glory. We should be one. We're going to one place. That's called one hope. We were saved one way. One faith. We believe one thing. We have one calling. Verse 7. But... In contrast to that oneness, there is a difference in each member. My right arm is stronger than my left arm. My legs are stronger than my arms. My right leg is stronger than my left leg. You have differences in your members. My pinky can't do very much. I got some other fingers, though, that can whip it. 
whenever I need them. You know. Come back to this verse, verse 7. But, in spite of the unity of verses 1 through 6, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. According to what Jesus Christ measures out, each member has. Because he's about to explain some differences in gifts. Now, he doesn't go into it at length here. He does that elsewhere. That's, what, that's how verse 7 fits. But, in spite of this unity that we ought to keep, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Christ gives gifts, and the measure of that grace that He gives is different to each person. Different parts of my body have a different value to the overall function of my body. But listen, even without them, I can't amount to anything. You cut off a couple toes of a man, cut off a couple toes he doesn't think he needs, watch him. He can't. Where was Adonai Bezek? Crawling under the king's table hoping for a few crumbs. And, and the kings that he had defeated before that because he cut off their thumbs and their big toes. You cut off the thumbs and big toes and you'll render a man no matter... Forget, don't look. But for, no matter how strong his arm might be, doesn't have this grasper here, what can he do? That's important, that thing right there, and more important than just hitchhiking. Every part of the body is important, but they don't serve all the same role, but God gives different grace as He measures it out through Jesus Christ. And then we have this explanation as He, as he introduces the ministry in the church. Verse 8, Wherefore, because of this different Measuring of, a, of the grace and gifts that Jesus Christ did. Here's the explanation. Wherefore he saith, quoting from Psalm 68 and verse 18, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. When Jesus Christ died, obeying the Father's will, rose from the dead by the Spirit of holiness, and ascended up into heaven, God rewarded the Lord Jesus Christ greatly for what He'd accomplished on earth. For His willingness to lay down His life, He rewarded Him with the spoils of the greatest conquest that had ever been made because Jesus defeated death, hell, and the devil, and your sins. And Jesus gave, God gave Him gifts because of that. In Psalm 68 and verse 18, it says, When He ascended up on high, He received gifts. Because God gave gifts to Jesus Christ. Here, Paul puts a different slant on it and says when he ascended up on high, he gave gifts to men. And it shows you where the gifts came from. God gave them to Jesus Christ as the spoils for his victory for what he did on the cross. Jesus Christ in turn gave them to men to help build up these cells throughout the earth of the kingdom of heaven called churches, called congregations. Verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Was everyone in the church an apostle? No, because he gave some apostles. Everyone a prophet? No, he made some prophets. And then coming down the scale, apostles, the highest gift. Oh, no comparison. Read the Bible. To an apostle, then a prophet, then an evangelist, then a pastor and teacher. In between, we have a wonderful Parentheses by the Apostle Paul, which says, Now that he ascended, 
If Psalm 68, 18 tells us that Jesus Christ ascended and received all these spoils to give to His church, the only way you can ascend is that you first descended. And He that descended is the same one that ascended. You say, what in the world is that stuck in there for? Why did Paul put that there? Very, And this is how we want to understand the Bible. Here's why it's there. Do you want to be great in the sight of God? Then get down. That's what it means. That's why it's there. There's other things we can pull from it, but they're minor. Why it is stuck right there is, I want to tell you about serving Jesus Christ. Even He descended first before He ascended. You say, prove it to me. Okay? Philippians 2, 5-11. through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, in the very same context of think not every one on his own things, but also on the things of others, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And that's what we all do in the church, because it already told us with all lowliness, all lowliness, no reputations in this church. We're all equals, we're all brethren, but we have great gifts differing according to the grace measured to us. That's not the grace of salvation. That's the grace of service. If you've got more grace measured to you, do you know what that means you ought to look like in the church? You're a bigger, better servant. That's what verses 9 and 10 are there for. You know, you could go into the the word descended and the lower parts of the earth and you could pull out other minor lessons about how Jesus Christ was lowered to the lowest parts of the earth, even into a woman's belly, and was born like a a wild ass's colt, you could go on and on, but you'd miss the point. Why are the two verses in this context? Because Jesus got down and made Himself of no reputation and was a servant, and that's what we are to be to each other. Verse 11, And He gave some apostles. None of them left, in spite of what Ron Carpenter wants to say in the city of Greenville, South Carolina. That's the so-called pastor and his wife is an apostoless of the World Redemption Outreach Center here in Greenville. No apostles. They were chosen men of the Lord Jesus Christ. Saw the Lord, had to see the Lord Jesus Christ in person, risen from the dead in order to be an apostle. And you were given gifts like no other man. And they were no man durst join himself to the apostles. You ought to read about that's, that's Acts four or five. It says no man durst join himself with the apostles. God made such a line of demarcation that the apostles were a separate breed to themselves. No one said, I think I want to be an apostle. Now, Simon tried it once, but it didn't work well with Peter. That's in Acts chapter 8. There were apostles, no more. Prophets, no more. We don't need a prophet anymore because we've got the word of prophecy. And it's more sure than any prophet's voice or even God's voice from heaven, according to 2 Peter 1, 16-21. And some evangelists. If there's an evangelist left today, which I don't believe there is, but if there was, what would he be? He would be a bishop that preaches the gospel to people who haven't heard it before. He'd be the opposite of a pastor. A pastor is a maintainer and a feeder. An evangelist is someone who goes out and gets it started. Now, look what our society has done with an evangelist. What's an evangelist in the average Arminian missionary or charismatic Pentecostal church? It's a man who travels around and has a repertoire of five to ten sermons and visits churches one week at a time and supposedly preaches a revival. 
and they call him an evangelist. That's not an evangelist in the Bible. He's not evangelizing anyone. He's going, and take, he's going and taking advantage of flocks made ready to his hand, which the Bible condemns. The only evangelist in the Bible went by the name of Philip. He was also a deacon. He was also mighty in signs and wonders and in word. He could preach. He could perform miracles. He was like an apostle and a prophet, but not that distinguished. You can read about him in the Bible. Acts chapter 8. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch? Could Philip travel effectively? When he, fin- when he finished baptizing the eunuch, he continued right on preaching in his Otis because the Lord just moved him. The Holy Spirit of God just caught him up and took him over to his Otis. Philip was an evangelist the eunuch hadn't heard before. Philip was, was evangelizing. He evangelized in the city of Samaria. He evangelized the eunuch. No evangelists left that are like Philip at all. Nobody can f- perform the miracles that Philip did. We believe that apostle, prophet, and evangelist were special gifts for that period of time. They're gone. Because when we go to 1 Timothy 3, we don't read about the qualifications for a bishop, then for a deacon, and then for an evangelist. We read about a bishop and a deacon. When we read Philippians 1.1, we read to the bishops and deacons. And so we realize there's only two offices left, bishop and deacon. And when we come and read about the office of bishop, he is to do the work of an evangelist. So a pastor, teacher, or bishop should be doing, as part of his job, the work of the evangelist by spreading the gospel to those that have not heard it before. Okay. That's not my point. But I I want you to understand the Word of God. I'm supposed to preach the Word if what I taught you last Sunday about this time is true. So I'm trying to preach you the Word. Okay, God gave apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and three of those offices are gone. They're from the apostolic age, and they are no more. And so we have left bishops and deacons, and here we're dealing with bishops, and in this place they're called pastors and teachers. Same office. A pastor is a teacher. Pastor describes the fact that he feeds. Teaching describes how he feeds. You know, a real pastor feeds sheep. Look it up. But this pastor feeds men by teaching. And see, he gave some pastors and teachers. It's one office. It doesn't say he gave some pastors and some teachers. This is not a verse for Sunday school teachers. This is a verse for bishops who have the responsibility for teaching the flock of God. Now, what's the purpose for those gifts that Jesus Christ gave in light of the unity that the church is supposed to have? Do you see the context? Verses 1 through 6 told about unity. Verses 7 through 11 described disunity and the fact that God made some differences by the grace and gifts He gave. Here are why God gave apostles, prophets, and evangelists, three of which are no more. We have pastors and teachers. Here we go. For the perfecting of the saints. Because without the man of God, you would not be and could not be perfect. God raised Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus Christ even come into the world? The the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, that God foreknew and predestinated certain men, the elect, to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. The, 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 The blessed God of heaven, excuse my stuttering, the blessed God of heaven, 
chose to have a family for eternity in which he can show the glorious grace and the riches of his kingdom to adopted children. To help those children conform themselves and be conformed to look like his son Jesus Christ, he gave gifts to Jesus who in turn gave them to the church so that while we're here in this world, we can be conformed to look like we're the sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation where everyone else is a child of the devil and doesn't mind looking like it. For the perfecting of the saints. It's ministers that perfect saints. It shows them the way of God more perfectly as has been read, quoted, and prayed tonight, this afternoon. The perfecting of the saints. If you were left on your own, it wouldn't matter if you had a Bible or you didn't have a Bible. If you had a Bible, you'd be ahead of the man that didn't have a Bible, but you couldn't perfect yourself because God has arranged for your perfection. It'd be the same as if a child came into the world and had no parents. When a child comes in the world and has no parents, it has a lot of problems. There's a lot of dysfunction in that child because it's not trained and doesn't grow up right. When a church has a pastor that does his job right, they're perfected. More could be said on that. You know it could be. It's not what we want. So I have to move on quickly. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry and the work of the ministry in the Word of God. Remember why there were deacons chosen? So that the apostles could give themselves to the Word of God in prayer. They're laborers in the Word of God. Paul told Timothy, give thyself holy. This is the work of the ministry. Holy to reading, exhortation, doctrine, that thy profiting may appear unto all. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Perfecting saints and doing the work of the ministry will edify the body of Christ. It will build up the church so that it looks like a body fit for the headship of Jesus Christ. That's the minister's role. Now, his role continues, but yours is starting to come into play. Verse 13, till his goal, this is, this is my goal, to perfect you, to do the work of the ministry, to edify you, to build you up until we reach this goal. I won't be able to retire. And it's your fault and mine. Because we're going to still need perfecting before I go out of here. No minister has been able, ever able to say, I'm done. We've reached the goal. The Lord will take care of what we miss. Right. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. See, we're back to that thing called unity from verses 1 through 6. Ministers are to try to build unity in the faith. The faith. Remember from last Sunday? The faith once delivered to the saints. It's not evolving. It's not changing. It's not being added to. The faith once delivered to the saints. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, it is my job to teach you to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as He is revealed in the Bible. Unto a perfect man. Until I get each of you and all of you together a perfect man. Remember what I was talking about earlier? That athlete, perfect man. But we don't mean in bodily strength. We mean in godliness. We mean in holiness. We mean in good works. We mean in the fruit of the Spirit. A perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We want our church collectively 
and individually by each one of you to look like the Lord Jesus Christ, fully grown, fully developed, full measure of His stature. Perfect Christians. That's the goal. Anything less than that would be giving up. This is our goal. That. I have a few challenges and objectives for this church. And I hope you have them with me. That. We henceforth be no more children. It's only children that change their minds every day or every week. One of the things about maturity is you don't don't change your mind. You're committed. You're consistent. You continue. So here the Apostle said that we henceforth be no more children. God gave pastors to help churches grow up. Didn't it say that? It's going to say it. Until, Until we grow up. It's in verse 15. Until we grow up. And God gave two parents to every child to help them grow up. If a child does not have both parents actively involved in their lives, and it does not mean feeding them, clothing them, and sending them to school. It does, that is not... Animals do that. Skunks do that. Being a parent is bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Right. Teaching them the fear of God. Being spiritually interested in their souls. Then a child can grow up and be fully developed in the way that counts. And that's to please God and men. That we henceforth be no more children. Then he uses the analogy of a ship on sea, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Here's two metaphors combined. That you're not children anymore that are tossed to and fro with every little fad that comes along. Children are moved by fads. You've seen it, you've known it, and you did it. Ministers are to keep that from happening. By the slight of men. Slight of hand. What's sleight of hand called? A magician. He's sneaking things over on your eyes. You know, Matthew can do it to us. You can put cards on a table and he can move them around and he can trick me. This is sleight of men. This is men who do it in the Word of God. And they, they lie in wait in cunning craftiness looking to see who they can deceive. They're false teachers. Whether they are deceiving intentionally or whether they're deceiving accidentally doesn't matter. They're deceived and they're deceiving. We studied them last week. And notice it says they lie in wait. That sounds just like the men that creep into houses and lead captive. Verse 15, But instead of being tossed to and fro with every fad of doctrine, every new thing, every new thought, instead of that, speaking the truth in love. As a pastor, those words are so precious. To have a church reach the place where the whole church speaks the truth in love. First of all, it speaks. It doesn't just sit there and stare at me with glassed over eyes. It speaks. It knows the truth well enough that it can give an answer for what it believes. And the answer that it gives is the truth, contrary to verse 14, of the fads of everyone else. It's the truth once delivered to the saints. And do you know how they speak the truth? In love. They're loving Speakers of the truth. Oh, that gets a pastor excited. Gets me excited. And when we reach that point, look what it says about us. May grow up into Him in all things. All things? Do you mean that a church and a pastor together following the Word of God and doing this can grow up into Jesus Christ in all things? Can we fill out His whole body 
and to the, the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ? Can we be everything that Jesus Christ wants us to be with this simple arrangement? With no denomination? No association? Can we achieve it? Here it is. We can. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom? Now Jesus Christ is directing this church through His Spirit, through His Word, through His servant. We've already covered the servant. We've already seen the Spirit. From whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. The whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Fitly. We make... How are we going to fit together as a church? Is it because we're only going to accept members that fit you? Or are you going to learn to fit them? Every new member we take into a church has a shape that doesn't exactly fit. But do you know how we make it fit? We fit ourselves to them. And we compact the church together until it's a tight-knit body where there are no loose parts hanging off the edge. Slackers dangling. Because we work on every part until we're a tightly compacted unit. These churches that don't even have 50% show up to an assembly? Think about it. They've lost before they even start. But from whom... The Lord Jesus Christ directing this body through His Word, through His Spirit, through His servant, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. For us to get as tight as we should be, for us to be as rock hard as we should be, we've got to have every joint supplying or we will be a soft, out of shape body. We will not be fit for the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not reach the full stature. We will not produce or be as effective as we should be. We'll be displeasing to Him. Every one of you have grace given to you. There's grace that has come into your heart. Some have made you helpers. Do you know in the Bible there is a gift called helps? Do you know in the Bible there's a gift called giving? Some of you are more generous than others. Those of you that have that generous spirit, give. Those of you that have that helping spirit, help. You say, I don't think I have either. Well, can you comfort? Because I read that in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Can you comfort? You say, I'm too rough to comfort. Okay, we need some warners. Warn them that are unruly. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. You say, I'm not good at anything but provoking people. Okay, we got you. Provoke one another to love and to good works. Don't provoke us to anger. Provoke us to love and to good works. There is something for everyone. If an athlete were to let one body part suffer atrophy and the muscle dry up, he would amount to nothing. Every part of this church, you can, you can write, can you write a one sentence email to another church member tomorrow out of the clear blue sky and just say, I prayed for you today. It would blow their minds. I prayed for you today. You may copy me. You can use a random generator, but just make sure you pray for the person. See, if you're praying for everyone, no problem with a random generator. I prayed for you today. 
Can you do that? Let, let's, what if we all did that? I prayed for you today, and we did pray for them. You know what would happen after you did that a few times? You'd think of a second sentence. You'd become eloquent. You'd become a communicator. You'd speak the truth in love. You'd say something nice about them. You would exhort them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What if everyone, what if once in a while someone did that? What if everyone did that once in a while? What if everyone did that often? Why are you Are you kidding? There's 1,440 minutes in a day. How long would it take you to type out, I prayed for you today? From whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. The effectual working. That means effort that produces the desired effect. Effectual working. Work that produces the desired effect. That means working with the grace that God gave you for the goals of the church. You know, there are church. Let's forget the churches that don't even show up. Let's talk about churches that have 100% attendance. And that reduces it to just a few outside of us. But what if it's this big? What if there's a nucleus in that church that's like this? But there's a lot of slacking members that are just hanging off. It's not an effective body for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what this passage is teaching. It's teaching that those loose ones are drawn in and that we are all together compacted by the effectual working of every part. Every part of this church is important. And that means you. Do not ask or expect or dream about what your church can do for you. Ask and expect and dream about what you can do for the church. From whom the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which, and here are the key words, which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Every joint, every part. Every joint and every part. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and He deserves a body better than any Catholic has ever dreamed of. Amen. And it's a body based on the holiness, righteousness, godliness, and self-denial, and mutual love, affection, and concern for the other members that this passage and others like it describes. Maketh increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. That's increase that we want. Maketh increase of the body. The body increases in strength and vitality and ability, the body increases unto the edifying of itself in love. See, you build up the church. I have my part, and we all work together. I have my part to remind you, and you have your part. But we edify the church. And we say edify. Don't ever be confused by that. It means to build up. A building in this country in the English language is also called an edifice. When you are building something, when you're building the house for the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit to inhabit, it's called edifying that body. 
making increase of that body, growing up into Him. Let's grow up into the body that the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ deserves and desires. And we do that by the effectual working of every part and that which every joint supplies. I ask each of you, what are you doing to contribute to the health and vitality of the whole church? That is the message from the Lord for us on that which every joint supplies. Amen.